Hello and welcome to Health Outreach Partners podcast series, The COVID-19 Pandemic and What It Taught Us. In this eight-part series, we'll hear from subject matter experts on the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic, particularly its effects on mental health and well-being. In each episode, you'll hear from different members of our healthcare workforce, community members, and Health Outreach Partners' own team about challenges and lessons learned from the pandemic. We appreciate the importance of reflection and recognition on the profound impacts COVID-19 and the pandemic response efforts have had on our lives and on our mental health. We are excited to share lessons learned from our esteemed guests and imagine a safer, healthier world for all. Our first episode features an in-depth discussion on the collective trauma, stress, and grief experienced over the course of the COVID-19 pandemic. Thank you for tuning in. All right, we will be having a conversation with Katie Nicole, the Director of Community Health at Plant Parenthood Northern California. Our guest is uniquely positioned to talk about mental health impact experienced by our healthcare workforce, as she has more than 20 years of experience serving as a licensed clinical social worker and currently supervised therapists and counselors providing services at Plant Parenthood. Thank you so much, Katie, for joining us today. Um, my name is Abba, your host today. Thank you so much for having me. Really good to be here. Thank you for coming, Katie. Is there anything that you would like to share with us about yourself and your background before we dive in that I didn't touch on? Sure. Thanks so much for the uh, extensive summary and background. It's a real pleasure to talk about mental health-related concerns and um, thinking more globally about our response to the pandemic. Just being a mental health provider, as you mentioned, for the last 20 years, both in healthcare industries as well as in my own private practice, it's really a um, kind of rewarding and also always illuminating to see how people are coping with various psychosocial stressors. Um, and also just a note that um, additionally, with my training, I've also been engaged in an REBT approach. I have my certification as a REBT therapist, which is an understanding of our rational, emotional responses to life stress and thinking through interventions so that I can best support clients in their, in their thinking and in their emotional responses. Wow, that is amazing. I'm sure a lot of people appreciate this type of therapy. I, it's actually my first time of hearing about it. Maybe sometimes during the conversation, you can delve deeper into it as we um, navigate the impacts of COVID-19 and, and mental health and, prof and professionals um, in the healthcare uh, field. So sure. um, how did the COVID-19 pandemic and lockdown initially impact your work and your field? And how has it evolved since then? Sure. It's a great question. You know, I think that all of us were deeply impacted in, in every industry and particularly for folks in the healthcare industry, especially obviously for patient facing medical professionals. For me as a therapist um, in two ways, the first is that I'm very fortunate to belong to Planned Parenthood Northern California's mental health team and overseeing um, and providing clinical support to staff and students. And very quickly, we went from seeing clients in a healthcare 
a health center rather setting. We have throughout PP NorCal, we have various health centers across the affiliate. And when lockdown unfolded, we very quickly needed to pivot into the provision of counseling and supportive services, as well as on the spot crisis intervention and counseling over teletherapy or via telephone. And to be able to really um, do that in a way that really takes into consideration the therapeutic rapport, the lack of um, face-to-face interaction, but already having established a connection with, with clients that we're serving and already engaged in the work, it was really important that we were able to um, not pause our program. In fact, to be able to um, pivot in such a way that we could set up weekly appointments via teletherapy, understand the nuances around the Board of Behavioral Sciences stipulations, and um, and also you know making sure that we were still providing ethically sound and appropriate therapy, even if it wasn't face-to-face. And though we don't currently have a video platform for PP NorCal and our clients, we were still able to continue to see them on a weekly basis. And then Um, have availability for anyone that may have been having a stressful moment or was in a crisis to be able to reach one of our therapists kind of on the spot. And usually what that would entail was somebody from the health center being in touch with myself and either I was taking those calls or I was triaging them out to the team. Um, And then we still were able to uh, bill for those services and think about how we were going to be able to make appointments over our electronic health system. Um, and obviously keeping HIPAA compliance and um, within all parameters that are, you know, ethically and and appropriate for for ongoing counseling. Um, Within my own private practice, I was able to use a HIPAA compliant platform known as doxy.me to be able to see clients over video. And, you know, I will say initially I was a little skeptical of how this was going to unfold and whether or not it would have the same impact. And I'll tell you that even you know, here we are almost three years later, I still have ongoing clients that actually almost prefer the video platform because from the safety of their home, they're able to still access the same quality therapy services without needing to get into the car or find parking or leave leave their home. So it has been sort of interesting to see how many folks are quite um, interested in and very much responsive to this type of therapy. And it's been remarkable and, and quite frankly, quite humbling to still see their, their growth. Wow. This is a lot. Once again, thank you for all the hard work. I would say that I, I, I appreciate, you know, the therapist part of the mental health professionals, because personally I do have a therapist and I started during the pandemic as well. Before I started HOP, I was in pharmacy for the longest and we were frontliners and um, seeing it all happen, witnessing it. It was a tough period for me as well. So I did appreciate the telehealth part, having somebody readily available. I know that a lot of people would appreciate being able to reach somebody in moments notice and have somebody to talk to and walk through stuff. We do appreciate that a lot. And we thank you all for that um, commitment and heart seven. Moving on to um, one question that came to mind was the impact of stress. We all know that sometimes people experience stress, chronic stress, and because of different factors, it could be job related, like inability to have proper housing, which we know that COVID came with a lot of these issues where people were losing their homes, mm-hmm. uh, foreclosures, food sources, 
the 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 stress of not having food or or um, even a roof over your head could be a trigger to somebody, uh, you know. And um, since then, or with this type of things happening or happened during COVID, how have you noticed the impact of stress in your work since the start of the pandemic, the COVID nineteen pandemic? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think to your point, you know, we think about stress, there's both internal and external factors that can activate our nervous system and lead to a stress response. And for for many folks, and I think we've kind of seen this across the board globally and even more locally, there really has been an emphasis on the way in which our environment and the unfolding of changes in our environment or the unexpected can certainly lead to stress. I think that um, what we want to be able to recognize is that there's a collective and that the, knowing that there is uh, the collective of, of folks who are experiencing this level of stress at the same exact time was really, I mean, if you think about it, mo- for most of our history, there's there's uh, very few, but certainly very, very significant ex- uh, examples of this. And I think that COVID-19 was one that really illuminated this idea that at, in a moment's notice, kind of, you know, anything can change on a dime, that sort of unfolding really caused folks to to sort of take a step back, understand sort of how they were engaging in their world, engaging with others, whether that be personally, professionally, familially, or maybe there were already baseline stressors to your really good point around housing insecurity, job or food insecurities. So I think that this really exacerbated this sense of how do we come together as a collective to offer support and and how are we not? And I think that that when you're in times of such deep distress, that becomes more palpable. And I think that then it's really up to us to kind of turn inwards and look at that for ourselves, but then also have some, some inner you know, resiliency to be able to then turn outwards and look towards, well, how can, how can I be more aware of the struggle that other people might be facing? Um, and how do I want to think about that on a, a global scale, whether that, you know, we think about election day yesterday, right? Who am I voting into office and <laughs> how am I thinking about my community at large and, and areas where we do want to really support uh, all of us in the collective. Um, but just to answer this more specifically, this this question around stress, there really is a, um, a nervous system response that we're oftentimes not even aware of, right? It's kind of known as like flight or fight response. And over time, the kind of cumulative impact of that can have really important consequences, uh, kind of long-term anxiety. What do we know, right? Post-traumatic stress disorder, depending on the different types of situation. And then um, also just thinking about what I like to call kind of this low simmer depression, or as we know in the clinical world, dysthymia, kind of feeling a little bit like low depressed because of what we experienced almost immediately, the sense of like isolation or the sense of not being able to engage in ways and in the world that we previously had. So I think that we want to also think about how that in turn also impacts our our distress tolerance, but also our level of stress. Oh my goodness. I I love the breakdown of how you went about the internal and external part of stress, because most of the times we don't realize that 
some of the stresses that internal or even external, you know, the external factors bring upon. And this actually leads me to ask this really interesting question that I've been thinking about deeply. During the COVID-19 pandemic, we saw like a steep increase that was reported of symptoms of anxiety or dis- depressive disorders, uh, which was about four out of 10 adults experienced these symptoms, up from one to 10 in 2019, which is a huge increase from one to four. That means the numbers kept going up, whereas in other, that that particular field of uh, healthcare professionals, what what did you observe about the mental impact of COVID-19 pertaining to the healthcare professionals, because I I know that you guys uh, took a step to take care of us, all the Mm -hmm. others, you know, Um, but what did this mean to you guys, the the healthcare professionals? Did you see where the instances where you had people come in that, you know, had issues because of the news, the Mm -hmm. family dynamics, the stigmatization of things? I don't think it only affected individuals. I think that health professionals also played a part in it. So we want to know how this impacted you guys' profession. How did you guys feel about this from a standpoint on your professional level? Sure. I think that's a great question. And I do really want to name, I think that we want to think about COVID-19 pandemic through many different important lenses, but it would be really remiss of me not to name that there is there are certain health disparities that are inherent in, you know, if you think about uh, our socioeconomic status and our cultural backgrounds and racial and, and otherwise. So I think it's really important to think about those that were impacted by COVID-19 in ways that at moments and at many times felt that there were clear health disparities that were quite illuminated. So if you had a predisposition to diabetes or other underlying medical conditions that might be more prominent within a certain community. And these folks within a certain community maybe haven't had the same access to or privilege of healthcare or even to be insured, that that was very much illuminated. And I think that that was very much apparent in what we were seeing in the news and what we were seeing within our own healthcare systems. So I do think it's really important to draw a distinction there. The other thing I also just want to name is that for folks who have the privilege and the access to be able to come to therapy or pay out of pocket for therapy, that is very different for lots of different people based on their socioeconomic status again, right? So I can name two things I think are really important here. For us at PP NorCal, it's so important that everybody has access, one, to sexual reproductive health care, but two, to mental health care that is affordable, that is accessible, and that is offered on a sliding scale basis. So we offer both sliding scale fee for therapy for anyone that wishes to pursue counseling. And we also offer insurance um, provision. Like if you have two specific types of insurance that we happen to be in network with, it actually works out even better because your insurance is able to cover and then it's out of, you know, completely a zero charge to that patient, you know, that client. So that's the first part. And then I think for those of us that are in healthcare uh, professional roles, 
roles, both mental health care as well as sexual reproductive health care or emergency care or, you know, inpatient, outpatient settings, I have to name that what I really saw was a a really big uptick in um, anxiety about being around chronically, critically ill patients day in, day out with very little respite. There was also this sense that there was a cumulative grief around all of those that were lost. I mean, if you think about even like uh, major hospitals in urban settings, particularly New York, uh, very early on, I mean, it was so apparent that there was such a loss of life at that time. And I do think there is a collective grief and um, and almost a secondary trauma, I would call it, for those uh, healthcare workers on the front lines. In uh, intensive care unit doctors, emergency uh, medical physicians, there's no question that there is um, impact of that. And then additionally, I think there's a level of burnout that I can definitely share is been inherent to healthcare providers that have just named that, that have really been able to identify that in themselves. And even as we were in the the many stages of COVID, right, we had these ups and downs and lots of cases and um, fluctuations, but throughout even at PP NorCal, there was a lot of discussion and a lot of support from our team to health centers around this idea of resiliency, this idea of understanding workplace stress and burnout, and then thinking about very, very specific tools and strategies to employ in the workday. I know at PP NorCal, we definitely wanted to do as much as we could to support the healthcare providers, you know, patient-facing staff. And I will also say uh, folks of, you know, colleagues of mine, folks that I know in the field of mental health absolutely saw an increase in not only um, counseling referrals and uh, just having a much bigger caseload of clients in their own private practice. So across the board, I think there's just been this collective sense that uh, this has been a very challenging time. Wow. It's as if you're reading my mind with the questions, because I was going to touch on the collective trauma and grief process. And I love that you've uh, you've touched a little bit on that um, because during our research before this program, before we went ahead, we found out that according to the um, Kaiser Family Foundation about 42% of essential workers reported symptoms of anxiety and dis- depressive disorder as opposed to their non-essential workers, which was about 30%. So there definitely was an increase in the healthcare profession, uh, essential workers in particular. The question that I want to throw out there, and I'm sure a lot of people would appreciate it, is as a mental health professional, how have you felt or or the witness of the effects of the stress and the grief and the um, trauma from the COVID-19 pandemic in, in your field? How has that made you feel going in and to work every day or even working from home and having to uh, go through the stress, the grief and trauma of every individual that uh, you talk to? How How is that, mm. how's that playing out for you and your colleagues and how have you guys rallied around or turned things around for you? Because we want to know how you guys are also taking care of yourselves because as much as you are taking care of us, we would we would want you guys to take care of yourself. And maybe some of these things that you're doing, uh, we can learn from, you know, because you are who we talk to. 
Yeah, no, it's great questions. Uh, I think the first one I'll name is that for many of us being in health centers, providing counseling services and meeting with patients, we were wearing masks, right? We were all wearing masks for a really long time. And some of us still are. And uh, working with folks and really not being able to see their full expressive faces was a challenge. And I think that it was a challenge for healthcare providers just not to be able, you know, it impacts your, your actually your breathing um, and your temperature levels and all of those things. And, and sometimes can actually add more stress onto a workspace just simply because you have something on your face all day long. Um, And for folks, healthcare providers at work, you know, eight plus hour shifts, I do think that is quite a challenge. And uh, reciprocally, for patients who are wearing masks, we're not able to really read their facial expressions. And sometimes that can be a challenge. Secondly, I would name that uh, what I've also noticed for clients that I've been working with, both for PPNO or Callum within my private practice, the sense of isolation has been really palpable. The sense of aloneness, um, even if there's opportunities to connect, there's there obviously we were just kind of in this place and space where we had to kind of like question what we were going to be doing more socially or uh, navigating that and thinking about well what would be the risk of hugging someone or shaking their hand or meeting for a coffee and do what do we do you know all of these like sort of connective habits or tendencies that at one point we wouldn't even like bat an eye about suddenly became critical thinking points throughout much of our days, both in workspaces and I think both, and then similarly in our personal lives. And so I just wanted to name that. I think that that's been kind of a common thread. Um, And then lastly, I I think it's a great question because this idea of self-care is something that we do promote as mental health providers. And I've given lots of presentations to uh, colleagues within PP NorCal and whole, you know, health centers and staff within those health centers around how do you take care of yourself in the midst of a difficult time. And so I always practice what I think are the five elements of like, like living a full life. And those are, um, and I actually practice this with my clients too, as well as with myself. And those five elements are joy, connectivity, movement, sleep, and nutrition. So what, what does that look like? It's different for everybody, but to be able to kind of track those, right? How am I experiencing joy in my day today? Or how did I not? Movement, what kind of exercise am I engaged in? Even if it means uh, a 30 minute walk in nature, we know just being in nature for 30 minutes can actually be incredibly helpful in in relieving stress, um, regulating nervous systems. Connectivity is like, how do we connect with others? Familial, professionally, friendship, any type of really partnerships. And then of course, nutrition is just like the basics and the foundational building blocks of our capacity to like have energy source and and think about how we're treating our bodies. And then I cannot emphasize enough, like this idea of really being able to rest, to sleep, to kind of really let the body completely shut down. Those are the five elements. And I think that for many of us, we're often not tracking them and we're not even aware of them and they can seem so basic. You know, you don't necessarily need, you know, a pellet in your house, which is maybe more of a costly item in order to have movement. You can like turn on the music and dance around with your kids. Or like I was sharing earlier, you know, you don't really need a gym membership. You can walk around the block or 
drive to a space that maybe um, feels like you're in nature a little bit more. So I would say those are the the big five that I tend to um, highlight when I'm thinking about my own self-care, but also sharing that with others, whether they be people in my professional or even in my personal life. Wow, Katie, this is really good piece of advice that I personally will try and work on. Um, because like you said, there's a lot going on. Even before the pandemic, there's been a lot of, you know, natural disasters, like the hurricane, the outbreak of SARS in 20, 2003, like so many things happen around the world and it impacts our mental health, often in the long lasting, particularly um, when first responders or vulnerable communities are involved in this type of situation the impacts of isolation, the loss of life, illnesses, stress, it it, it all gets felt even long-term because Mm -hmm. I lost a patient uh, who was seven years old and I built a relationship with this kid for like two, almost three years to cancer. And during the pandemic, it didn't end well and he passed on. And sometimes I go back to that moment and I'm like, oh my goodness, what if this wasn't the case? What if COVID didn't happen? What what if that? Because there were restrictions to go to the hospital, so restrictions to do this and do that. So looking into it now with all these um, elements that you've given our listeners and to us uh, individuals who are who may not have known this how do you envision our communities and our healthcare system how do you think we will our healthcare system and our communities will recover from such a long-lasting mental health impact how, how do you see this happening I, I I love all the ideas that you've given this far and I know you're going to give me a great answer so I'm sitting <laughs> still for it Oh, well, thank you. I, I I do appreciate that. I think that, oh, it's such a, such a big question, but I do think that we have to come back to a self-reflective practice and a self-reflective process, which is how am I engaged in this work? What is my intention in this work? Right? So let's just take the healthcare industry as an example. Oftentimes, there's a way in which we just kind of get wrapped up in the day-to-day, the patient in front of us, um, the challenges that may be inherent in our day or with a colleague or something that feels really challenging, difficult, frustrating, maybe even annoying. Maybe you're just like, ugh, you know, and that's normal. And that's part of all of our days, no matter what industry that we're engaged in, right? And involved in. But I think that when we can kind of take a moment and pause and really think about what our intention is. Like I can share with you, the folks that I work with at PP NorCal, there are absolutely many, many challenging days. And patients come to us for a myriad of different sexual reproductive health care needs. And sometimes that's there's a lot of challenges with a visit. And sometimes there's not, right? There's days that run like super smooth. But I really come back to this time and again, and I present this idea whenever I'm talking about this very concept, which is if you actually come back to what your intention is, why you entered the healthcare field in the first place, what you really dreamed that you would be able to do with your degree and the impact that you would be able to have on others, if you can come back to that nine times out of 10, it will actually help you to reset because 
most of us that are in healthcare fields are in the field because we have an intention to help others. We want to understand the socio-biological and sometimes even physical, psychological understanding. And maybe we even have curiosity about that. Like my intention with all of my clients is I have a deep curiosity about how they're in their world and how they're making sense of their world and, and that they actually come with the courage and the intention to grow. So if I can hold on to that intention, it, it fuels my work and it actually allows me to connect even deeply with, with people. I think sometimes we can get so bogged down and that's usually when I say to people, okay, time for you to take some PTO, <laughs> time for you to take a day off. Like, you know, can you tell think... me that often so I can do that? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. I do think there's something to a mental health day. Honestly, even if it's a half day, sometimes it's yeah. just a morning or afternoon that can be incredibly restorative. Sometimes. I'll even say to people just on a logistic level, like just take the Friday and the Monday. It's going to feel like a whole new vacation. You're going to come back refreshed on Tuesday. I'm not saying let's like all quit our jobs and step away from the computer. In fact, I'm saying the opposite. I'm saying that we'd be able to come back to our computers and our people and the patients that we're working with more refreshed and more full hearted and full headed because we will have taken that time to give to ourselves like that, which we can give to ourselves. We will be able to give to others. Yes, yes. By the yes. way, I'm not saying this is easy. Like there's no magic wand here sitting up <laughs> in my audio area, but I think that if we can begin the practice that that can be a start. Yeah. I, I, I definitely love the last part that you said. It's not going to be easy um, because no. <laughs> I think like most people, uh, I'm a mother, a daughter, a wife. Um, when you decide to take a vacation, funny enough, or every other person tries to infuse their situation into your time off. And so um, learning to um, say, hey, I need this moment for myself. I think it's definitely something that more of us should practice. Uh, even if it's, like you said, a half day, you know, can I oh, take yeah. a couple of hours to myself? Can I, can I do this? And I, I, I knew you were going to give me a great answer on this question because you have so far shed so much light on this uh, impact of COVID-19 in our society and, and, and how, how it has impacted the healthcare system and the healthcare professionals. And the self-reflective work is really a good piece of advice. Yes, not just in the healthcare profession, but I think in every aspect of work, um, because you do see different works of life and uh, our listeners are definitely going to be from different works of life and it's definitely a good advice that taking the moment to reflect why you're in that position why we need that position why what drove you to that the passion that took us there and thinking as humans and loving one another in that perspective is definitely a great piece and um I truly do appreciate this. Uh, we do appreciate all the work that you're doing in collective with your um, colleagues and other healthcare professionals, taking time to hold us all down and making us feel safe and loved and listened to because that's another important part of self-care, being heard by mm -hmm. people that care about us. So um, we do thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day. Um, before we part ways, is there any last words that you have for our listeners and for me and, you know, to learn any parting good thing that you want us to do or know about or learn about or um, run to, um, you know, in times of distress, what, what do you want us to do? Anything oh, that you have in your mind. 
That's such a great question. I think what I would love to impart and just kind of let folks maybe metabolize or marinate in is the idea that in spite of adversity, I really, really do believe this. I really do. I've seen this in practice. I've seen this in my personal life that even when you feel like literally everything is falling apart and it probably is, and there will be moments (laughs) where it actually will, that we all have an innate resiliency. We all have an innate capacity to actually rise above and get through and take steps forward. And even on days when you're going to feel like you've just taken 10 steps back, that's okay too. But we all do have an innate capacity to um, evolve within you know, our thinking and evolve within the way that we kind of think about ourselves in the world. And there's, there's a level of resiliency that we all have within us. It's just a matter of accessing it, trusting it and really being able to let that sense of like, I can actually do hard things, you know, move past. And then the second piece is I often say to clients and I often say this to colleagues, most of the time when we're in a difficult situation, I'll give you an example, even if it feels kind of trivial, for example, like um, I'm sitting in traffic, I'm running late. I'm supposed to Mm -hmm. do five things, pick up my kids. Uh, This is now I'm late for this, that, right. I'm Mm -hmm. sitting in traffic. So instead of like sitting there steaming and (laughs) gripping the wheel, which I definitely have done, there's also another option, right? And that other option is like, this is actually just for now, like this moment, this difficult, this difficulty, this difficult time, this challenge that is presented to me is actually just for now, like in 10 minutes, it's actually going to be over and I will have worked past it. But I think sometimes when we're in the midst of something kind of difficult, tragic, horrible, heart-wrenching, tear-filled, you know, all of those things, which by the way, that is, we do endure those moments. I'm not saying that they don't exist, but my point is that those moments are like little waves, as I like to think of them. They've crashed down, they're on that rock, it's cold, it's terrible, but that wave is actually going to go back out and then you will have another opportunity. And so it's really just for now. So sometimes when we're in it, it's hard to imagine that this is just for now. There is going to be more after this. So that's just another technique that I like to utilize. Cause even when we first went into lockdown, all of us were like, Oh my gosh, this is like, what are we going to do? (laughs) Right. But we actually came through that. And I would argue not only have we come through that, I think that we've actually been, it, it has allowed us to become more self-reflective, more introspective. Mm-hmm. It maybe even allowed us to connect more deeply with people that we hadn't considered that we would do before, or maybe we yeah. shed some relationships or habits that were actually not serving us. So my point there is that there's always an opportunity. Wow. Wow. Katie, maybe I should move in with you. I think. <laughs> Sure. Oh, thank you. That's very I, nice. I, I would need all of these talking points every day of my life. Oh, that's very Especially sweet. that traffic. That traffic. Ooh, traffic yeah. is not my fan thing to do because like you said, I always have somewhere to go. So uh, knowing to take that, it's only just now. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. you are definitely right. It's only for a moment. It's going to pass. Um, there's no need to get overwhelmed by it. I do know that our listeners are going to appreciate this piece of advice and the time that you've devoted to talk to us and share your perspective on things of COVID impacting our healthcare and our communities and our societies. Once again, 
thank you, thank you, thank you so much and have yourself a great day. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Real pleasure on my end too. Really appreciate it. I'll come back anytime. Thank you so much. Thank you and have a great rest of your week. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Health Outreach Partners podcast, the COVID-19 pandemic and what it taught us. This publication was supported by the Health Resources and Services Administration of the United States Department of Health and Human Services under grant number U3FCS4-18480100, a national training and technical assistance cooperative agreement under American Rescue Plan Act funding in the amount of $211,821. This information or content and conclusions are those of the author and should not be construed as the official position or policy of, nor should any endorsements be inferred by, HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government. Thank you.